the Bible say to not have sex outside of marriage? It does. We can't really get away from that. However, we've made this a salvation issue. We've made something that's not the main thing, the main thing. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another week of the Tea Please podcast where we spill the tea on life and important conversations and topics that can help us navigate life with a little more intention, a little more mindfulness, and with different perspectives. And that's exactly what this episode does, and I hope you like it. A little bit of behind-the-scenes tea on me and where I'm at in life right now. We're in May, and May is a really busy month for us. We are getting married in like three weeks, which is really exciting. I cannot wait. I'm so excited to have the planning behind us and also just really enjoy the day with friends and family. I'm just so excited. It definitely feels like life is moving a little bit quicker, which is such a shock compared to last year and just being home all the time. I'm still home all the time, but definitely feels like things are opening up. People are doing more things. I'm doing more things. And yeah, I'm trying to remind myself to ease back into a faster paced lifestyle and just have a lot of grace with myself in that. So if you are in a similar season and feeling like everything is moving a little bit quicker, I'm with you. And practically speaking for me, that means doing the to-dos and not doing a lot of the nice-to-haves, meaning my laundry is piling up, I'm not so good at meal planning, I am not getting around to like some of the things that I would typically do. I feel like I'm a little messier than I normally would, so sorry Taylor, I know most of the stuff laying around the apartment is definitely mine, but I, like I said, I'm trying to be gracious with the season and learning to balance a lot of new things, so we'll get there. My intention is to focus on the smaller things and and make sure that I'm still like keeping up with all of the normal life to-dos because I'm worth it, I'm worth a clean space, and I'm worth taking care of my things and my space, so yeah, just a little moment of, of realness there. Because not every season of life is clean and tidy and like really perfect and feeling great about everything. And that's kind of where I'm at. Also, come find me on Instagram at the Tea Please Podcast. I share a lot of my personal life and thoughts and what I'm up to on there as well as podcast information. So if you're not already following, definitely come follow on Instagram at the Tea Please Podcast and send me a DM. I would love to connect. I love making new internet friends. It is so fun for me. But anyway, let's get into this week's episode. This week we have Kat Harris. She is an author, speaker, online educator with the mission to equip and empower women with practical tools to walk in their worth and navigate their lives grounded in freedom, vision, and wholeness. I really love the compassionate tone she brings to the table in this chat, and I think you will too. So you've probably already seen the title of this week's episode, but what are we actually going to be talking about? I knew when I started this podcast that I wanted to have conversations that bring different perspectives, and that's exactly what this episode does, and that's exactly what Kat does. First of all, I realized that this episode might hit people different, and that is definitely okay. My intention is never to tell people how to think or what to believe or what to do. And I realize that there could be people who listen to this episode and think it's spot on. And I know that people could listen and maybe not agree with the message at all. That is definitely okay. One of the things that I've learned about our world is that we can gain a lot from having different conversations and being open to a shift in perspectives and taking another look. So I just wanted to frame this episode in that way because I hope you find it really valuable. And if you don't find it valuable, then that's definitely All right, 
I'm going to stop saying definitely, or I'm definitely going to (laughs) try to work on that because that's one of my speech patterns that I would really like to break. Anyway, in this conversation and in this week's episode, Kat and I talk about women and sexuality in the church and really take a different look at some of the messages that women can sometimes get about this topic in the church. We talk about purity culture, we talk about sexuality in scripture, boundaries, shame, and a lot more. Let's get right into it. Here's Kat Harris. To start, I want to hear a little bit about your journey with this topic. And, you know, you wrote this book, Sexless in the City. Where did that come from for you? When did you kind of realize that this was something that you wanted to take a deeper look at or it wasn't making you feel good? Well, to back up, I grew up in Texas in the early 2000s and and I didn't really grow up in a religious or Christian household, but being in the South and being in the Bible Belt, Christianity is kind of the air you breathe. Churches on every corner. And so when I ended up becoming a Christian and learning about things like good Christians don't have sex until they're married, that stuff wasn't news to me. It was I was familiar with the lingo. And so I kind of dove in head first to Christian culture and into an evangelical culture. And didn't really question it. And to be frank, not having sex was pretty easy for me because I didn't really date a lot. And so I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, totally. I'll not have sex until I'm married. And and I became a Christian when I was 16. And so I was like, I live in Texas. I'll probably get married by the time I'm 19, 20 max, 21 if I'm really late to the game. So what are we saying here? Maybe three or four years of no sex. Got this. We're good. Well, fast forward almost 20 years, here we are today, but I really didn't start questioning those narratives that I was given from Christianity and church culture until my late 20s. I had recently moved to New York City. This was, oh gosh, almost a decade ago now, and I was dating more than I had ever dated in my whole life. I was casually dating for the first time. I was online dating. I was meeting guys out and was just having a great time dating. Yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah, it was was very much my single girl's moment, sex in the city moment without the sex, hence the title of the book. And it was really on the heels of a particular breakup that I was going through. I felt head over heels for this guy and had just incredible chemistry with him and we didn't technically have sex but it was kind of a logistical game (laughs) at that point and when we broke up I just one of the big reasons we broke up was because a deal breaker for him was not having sex in a relationship and I just was really confused how to move forward I for all these years had always judged people for having sex outside of marriage. And yet in this particular relationship, I had gone further physically than I ever had with any other person. And I didn't feel guilt about it. In fact, it was pretty awesome and fun and eye-opening. And um, I looked around my life and my friends and most of my friends who were 
people of faith were also having sex and a lot of people that I knew Christian or not, pretty much everyone I knew was having sex, but me. And so in this breakup, I just was wondering, is this worth it? Is not having sex still a thing? Or is it some antiquated Christian norm that's no longer relevant? Were the friends in your community, like Christian or non, who were having sex, were they talking about it? Yeah, yeah. Not a small group on Wednesdays. However, I will say, I will say this, that's not necessarily true. One of the most refreshing things about living in New York was it wasn't Christian culture. And so going to a Bible study on a Wednesday night in Dallas, Texas, probably the same amount of people are having sex, but people know not to talk about it or they know to hide that part of their lives. And what was refreshing about being in New York is no one really knew the rules. I was leading a a women's group and almost everyone in there, they didn't know they weren't supposed to be having sex, quote unquote. So I had girls in my group that really loved God and were living with their boyfriends and having lots of sex. And it was just, so in, in the time of my life that I was in, I was around a lot of people that were having sex and talking about it. And definitely my non-Christian friends were talking about it all the time. <laughs> and then I was definitely asking a lot of questions about it. Well, so how does this work? And what's your favorite position? And what are all the things I need to know? Um, yeah, so I ended up going on a journey um, of researching every verse in the Bible that talked about sex and intimacy and really asking myself all the questions that I wanted to ask. What does the Bible say about sex? Do I care what it has to say? What what about gender roles? What about intimacy? Is masturbation a sin? Is pleasure a sin? So kind of anything and everything I could ask I, and anything and everything I had been taught, I wanted to tease out and challenge and ask why. I mean, that takes courage to even look all that stuff up because you know what you're going to be faced with. You know what you're going to be faced with when you seek out those verses. So what did you find like in that self-study? Yeah. Well, I didn't know if it was going to be clear. I didn't know what I was going to find. I knew what other people had told me, but just because someone tells you something doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) And so I think a few things, um, well, the new, I found the new Testament to be most clear about the sex outside of marriage thing. And, but it was hidden beneath words and phrases that didn't make any sense to me in a modern culture. There were a lot of phrases repeated in the New Testament, flee from sexual immorality. And I was like, what the heck does that even mean? And then it talked a lot about fornication. And I was like, I don't know what fornicate means. Like I can make a guess. So since I didn't know what those words meant, I looked up the Greek because most of the New Testament is written in Greek or Aramaic. And the the reality is we're reading a text that has been translated for thousands of years. And even contextually, there's so much that gets lost to us, which I can get to in a minute. But even Genesis 2, the first, the first quote-unquote marriage between Adam and Eve, there's so much lost in translation because we don't in our modern day understand Hebrew culture. And I feel like that is a real disservice to us. And so we're given these rules And we don't really know any sort of context to why a rule was or wasn't given. And so flee from sexual immorality. The Greek word there for sexual immorality and fornication is porneia. 
which is obviously where we get words like porn or pornography. And so what does pornea mean? Well, it's sort of this umbrella term that stands for anything from bestiality, having sex with animals, to pedophilia, to adultery, to extramarital affairs, to basically sums up as any sort of sexual activity with a person who you're not married to. And so I was like, okay, well, there it is. There's the rule. And But I thought what was interesting to me about that is it wasn't like no penis and vagina. <laughs> it was just like sexual activity outside of marriage. So at the very at the very least i could say okay well this is most likely where we get the idea that um to not have sex outside of marriage yeah it's interesting cuz i feel like that could also be interpreted like maybe kissing maybe some people think that kissing should not happen outside of marriage i know there's people that do think that but yeah just looking into that passage and seeing what if it was interpreted that way and that's what we went by yeah and i think I think that's such a good point because for me, that led me down a path of, all right, so if I do want to abstain, what am I actually abstaining from? And I actually thought, the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I think it's actually really cool that the scriptures don't give you a tit for tat. They're not like, well, as long as the P doesn't go in the V or as long as no one orgasms, then you're good. And I think it's beautiful because I think as humans, we are so prone to legalism. And as long as I follow the rule, I'm all good. But what I see through the scriptures is that God really cares about our hearts. And typically when there is any sort of invitation to either stay away from something or to do something, it's typically because there's a story there. And so... I, in that, I asked myself, so then what is sex? Could that definition be different for me than it is for you, than it is for him? Do we have the right or authority to tell people in that, that they are wrong? Um, why for so long did I think that sex was vaginal intercourse? What if you're, you're with a partner that's impotent? Are you not able to have sex? What if you're one of the 75% of females that experience climax externally? Can you not have pleasurable sex? What if you don't identify as heterosexual? Do heterosexual people have a monopoly on virginity? (laughs) I hope not. That doesn't seem fair. And so in that, it seemed like, oh, I wonder if this this is here. And I can talk more about why I think that invitation is there. Um, But from there, I got to just decide, is this something I want to do or not? And then for me, I get to decide what is sex for me and what what do I feel compelled to abstain from? I like the way that that's reframed in a way that gives you space to think because it's not just a black and white of yes, do this and don't do that, which is definitely the message that I have gotten in my life. I mean, I have not gone back and look at scripture in a while to find that, but there are places that it's explicitly stated, right? In the New Testament, it's flee from sexual immorality, 
sexual activity outside of marriage. And so we also have to take into context. I mean, we, there wasn't dating. There was no dating in, in first century culture. There was no dating in Hebrew culture thousands of years ago. It was arranged marriages. And then soon after you would get married. And, but the interesting thing was that what, what made you married wasn't a ring on your finger or a wedding ceremony in the church in Hebrew culture. So if we're talking more Old Testament, Hebrew culture, you were married when you had sex. So that was sort of the precedent. And in the Old Testament, we see King Solomon and his bride in the Song of Songs um, having this like erotic, passionate love affair within marriage. And then we see, and I, what I think is so powerful about the Song of Songs is we have this however many thousands of year old book written about sex and foreplay that this book is opened with a woman giving her informed and enthusiastic consent to her partner about how she wants him to pleasure her. Now that that's scandalous today. Even sexual encounters today, statistically, if you pull a man and, and women, uh, Peggy Ornstein talks about this in her book, uh, Boys and Sex, that both men and women will say that a sexual experience is successful, quote unquote, only when the guy comes. And so we, so if that is still rare, a rare thing today, that there's equal pleasure in sexual encounters, think of it 3,000 years ago when women were primarily illiterate because they weren't allowed to go to school. They were viewed as property going from the ownership of their father to a marriage. They couldn't use their voice in public. And yet the God of the Hebrews advocated for love-filled marriages where men were called to be faithful instead of running around on their wives. And when sex is talked about in the sacred texts, it's first leads with the woman experiencing pleasure. Like that was like mind blowing for me. I was like, this stuff is scandalous. Like this would have been scandalous and culturally in the time when this came out. So why do you think that's not what's what stuck? Why are we not having that narrative? And why is this conversation <laughs> such a taboo to have now? Oh man. I know, yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, getting, I'm not expecting uh, you to have we the might, whole, like you're not yeah. going to solve the problem, but. Well, I feel like I laugh because it's an easy answer, but it might be offensive to some, but honestly, I think that's because of the patriarchy. Honestly, I think it's because of the patriarchy. I think um, women were a massive part of the God story in Hebrew culture. Uh, we see Queen Esther in the Old Testament putting a stop to genocide using her voice and influence. We see the Old Testament wisdom literature of the Proverbs. The Proverbs 31 is this recounting of a godly woman and this woman was business savvy and entrepreneur running multiple businesses using her voice, her voice of wisdom in the home and in culture for good and for influence. And then we go to the New Testament and see that women helped fund the life of Jesus, that Jesus could have revealed himself to anyone in any way upon 
the resurrection, when that happened, Jesus revealed himself alone to a woman. And Jesus commissioned a woman to share the good news of the gospel with all the men. <laughs> we see women like Phoebe and Junia and Lydia and Priscilla all through the New Testament that are leaders and using their voices and, and leadership for influence. And yet, somehow, somehow religious culture and religious institutions, and unfortunately, um, in much of Christian culture, women are told to be quiet, be submissive, and that male sexual failures are the fault of the woman. I think that's because women have been kept out of the decision-making rooms. Women have been kept out of the decision-making rooms in culture and in churches, and we're all suffering. This isn't the only topic that I've heard come up in church of can women be clergy? And, you know, it's just another topic that just gets muddled, and we haven't had, like, open dialogue about it. So I love that, you know, I really just champion your work in this because I think it's so important to give a different light and different perspective on it. But what do you say to people that are maybe challenging you? If we're talking about um, like having sex before marriage and people are really strong in saying like, no, you are wrong for doing that and you are sinful and you need to repent. Well, first of all, I, at the end of my journey, I decided that I still want to choose to wait until marriage to have sex. So I currently am celibate and that is for a lot of different reasons, but it's the reasons that I feel very internally motivated by now, as opposed to feeling like a victim to Christianity and a victim to external expectation. And so I think a lot of people can get their panties up in a wad when they hear me talk. I'm like, I'm still playing your game. <laughs> but all that to be said is I believe that each person has the autonomy and agency to choose how they want to move forward in their lives. And yes, does the Bible say to not have sex outside of marriage? It does. We can't really get away from that. However, we've made this a salvation issue. We've made something that's not the main thing, the main thing, like the litmus test of whether or not you're in the club. Well, if you're having sex outside of marriage, I mean, I used to be that person. I was like, you cannot be a person of faith if you're having sex outside of marriage. I was that prideful about it and I think it's identity it's a lot of identity wrapped up in it as well so you we get protective of that absolutely I actually just had a conversation with an incredible woman her name is Brenda she has a an online platform called God is Gray and we both love God we would both we both identify as Christians and I am not having sex as a single person and she is And we just got to have an honest conversation at the end of the day. Like, I love her. She's my dear friend. I have no agenda to try to get her to change and do things my way. I think that we each get to seek God on our own, out of our own volition. And I think what feels scary to people about that and what feels scary, I think, to a lot of religious people is it's like, oh my gosh, well, but it's right or it's wrong or it says this or it doesn't say this. And I think we're so, we so want to control people because we're so afraid. We're so afraid of getting it wrong as opposed to what if you just trusted that like God is speaking to whatever person and what if their story might be differently than yours and who's to say 
that one is better or worse. I think we're just all on our own path. And I think that I, okay. The picture that I get is that I used to think as being a Christian that it was like, I lived in this house and I lived in a room in the house. And it was like, I could like play in the room and I, you know, had my books and my toys and all of that. And then I heard people playing outside of the room. So I ran down the hall and, oh, wow, there's other people in the house. So let me like see who's here. And then I found a door that went outside and I went outside and it freaked everyone the F out that I went outside. And when I went outside, I realized I was actually on this almost like a winery like rolling hills and rolling hills and rolling hills and ponds and trees to climb. And, and there was much more space at the house than I thought. Now, was I wrong for being in my room? No. Am I wrong for being outside? I think that there are still parameters, (laughs) but I do, but I do think that there's way, 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 way more freedom than we give ourselves credit for. There's way more expanse of the human experience. And I think we get so stuck on staying in the room and we think if anyone goes outside, you're out of the club. And I think I've just found so much freedom in giving myself the permission to stop controlling other people. (laughs) Yeah. I think the point you made about like, we're just so afraid to get it wrong and we cling to the black and white because then we'll know if I do this, then I'm okay. Or if I don't, then I'm not. And that feels good sometimes. It feels good until it doesn't. So what do you think is a better way to have that conversation practically? Gosh, I think it first starts with normalizing what it means to be a human. Like Being human is hard and we're all trying to figure it out. And I know, at least for me, the older I get, the, the more questions I have. And so what I would love is to be able to have healthy conversations around sex and desire and intimacy and really identify collectively and individually what are beliefs or rules or narratives that you are given that are rooted in shame and are rooted in fear and control, let's clean house. (laughs) Like fear and shame only keep us small and stuck and isolated. And so can we process through healthy conversations of, okay, what is it that I actually want? What is it that I believe? What do I, if I am a person of faith, what do I believe that my sources of truth are telling me? And what feels in alignment with myself? What feels in alignment with my experience? What is it that I want moving forward? And are my actions in alignment with what I want? Um, I talked with a, a pastor of a very conservative church recently. And they have a house full of teenage kids. And I said, how do you talk to your kids about sex? And... They said that they sat their kids down and said, you know, we believe that God's best is to experience intimacy and sex within marriage. However, like, if you want to have sex, if that's what you choose, we would love for you to use condoms and protection. And if you want condoms, we'll buy them for you. We'll help you figure out how to put them on. And I felt like that was beautiful because they were saying, here's my boundary. 
and this is what we think. However, let's have a conversation about this. And I think what happens is we say, don't have sex. You're bad if you do. You're out of the club, period, the end, end of story. And history has proven that abstinence-only sex ed leads to higher STDs higher and higher unwanted pregnancies than any other form of sex ed. So shaming people into abstinence isn't working. And by the way, they're having sex anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder what if we gave ourselves an eat and each other their permission to go on a journey of saying, of deconstructing first, how did I get here? What are the narratives that I've been given about my body, about sex, about sexuality? Are they rooted in fear or freedom? Okay. If they're rooted in fear, let's clean house. Let's rebuild. So then how do we rebuild from a place of wholeness? I think in the rebuilding part is then when we start asking questions like, who am I? How would I be showing up if I was walking in my worth, if I was walking in wholeness, what is it that I want in the future? And how can my current, how can my today actions impact my future actions? What feels in or out of alignment with that? What are the boundaries that feel good to me so that I can give informed and enthusiastic consent in any sexual encounter, whether it's I'm going on a date tonight and I really want to make out be able to communicate that. Or I'm going on a date tonight and I really want to have sex. Okay. How can you show up and with ownership in that? I think for me, having, having conversations about empowering people to show up in wholeness and connected to their worth and with the tools to decide for themselves, what will work for them is great. And I think also we have the permission to get it wrong. (laughs) Okay. So maybe you decide I don't want to have sex. And then a while down the road, you decide that's not working for me. Okay. You have the permission to renegotiate your own boundaries, or you may decide I really want to have a lot of casual sex. And then you may get down the road and say, you know what? That's not working for me. At any point in the story, we have the permission to change our boundaries. It seems so simple after you say it out loud. Oh, we have permission to get it wrong. But for so long, it feels like we are not given permission to get it wrong with this topic. It feels different when we're talking about sex and sexuality for some reason. So I love even just saying that and saying like, yes, like you you can evaluate and you can change your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's so important that we give ourselves spaces to be human. And it's also important to acknowledge that women historically, even today in 2021, are held to a different standard. Women are required to be quote unquote pure in ways that men are not. And that's unjust and it's wrong. We see it in the church and we see it in culture. I mean, I watched Bridgerton recently and I I loved the show, but part of it was also super triggering because I was like, it honestly doesn't feel that much different. Even today in 2021, as a 35-year-old woman, I mean, I'm in my prime. I'm doing great. I love myself. I would love a partner, but I I don't want to just hop into a relationship. But people are like underneath like, oh, is there something wrong with her? Why is she single? When my peers, my guy friends that are my age or older aren't being asked that question, I still think that today women have a cultural and religious expectation on them to be less sexual than men are. And that is a a very problematic and damaging message. 
Absolutely. I don't know if you have any resources or conversations to draw from. I'm just curious what the male experience is with that. I think a few things is one is yes, girls and guys are given that message in church settings. However, only women are told to hide their bodies because boys struggle, quote unquote, with lust in ways that women don't. Don't make your don't make your brothers in Christ stumble. Don't make your brothers in Christ sin. So what are we saying underneath that? What's the message underneath that? Boys are more sexual than girls. And boys have urges and desires that they can't really control. So boys really can't help themselves. So really, boys will be boys. And so it's your fault as the woman if you are making him think lustfully or act lustfully. So underneath the conversation that men don't get in the church, men don't get, hey, women are sexual. And so if you're walking around greased up with a six pack, she might want to come lick your stomach. (laughs) Women aren't getting that conversation. Men aren't getting that conversation. We're told that men are sexual in ways that women aren't. and, And because they have urges, they can't be responsible for them. So the weight of male sexual quote unquote purity of an entire gender is thrown on the shoulders of women. So do guys probably experience shame in the conversation around abstinence? Sure. I'm sure. However, there's a giant chasm because from the get-go, the message is primarily coming from men. And they're separate conversations. So that's great if you want to talk about the problems that men experience in this realm because they are definitely there for sure but we're talking about this right now. Like, I think that there needs to be some separation instead of using that as a way to spin the conversation with those boundaries, kind of going back to, you know, you had that past relationship. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling with their sexuality and boundary setting? I would say first to pause, (laughs) pause and ask yourself, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? What are you looking for right now? Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Are you looking for something casual? Are you rebounding from a relationship? What is it that you want? Because I think we're we're always headed somewhere. Every, Every breath, every step, every action or inaction is leading us on a path somewhere. Where do you want to go? And I think you first answering that question helps inform how you want to walk out today. I would say that most of my relationship coach friends who are not faith affiliated would say to withhold sex until, until at the very least, until you are in a committed monogamous like relationship. Um, and I think there's, I think there's real value in withholding sex and the physical for a period of time, even if it's just, wow, do I want to see if I actually have something in common with a person or are we, do we have values in alignment? Are we, do we want the same things? You know, um, those sort of things before we enter the physical, because the physical enters in the outpouring of dopamine and oxytocin and the neurotransmitters and hormones in our, in our brains kind of go haywire. Um, new neural pathways are created in our brains that allow that, are designed to attach us and bond us to other people when we experience orgasm and pleasure with them. So I would I would say that there's real value in at least holding off on the physical until you know what you want. 
And then once I know what I want, then I can decide how I want to move forward. And I used to think that thinking about what I did or didn't want to happen physically before a date, I thought that was controlling or not sexy or, oh, that's just very type A. I thought it was very weird. Um, But now I'm like, no, consent is sexy. And how do I show up with informed, enthusiastic consent, which I think has always been important, but feels to me at least more important than ever, especially in the fallout of Me Too movement, also the Church Too movement, to be able to show up in any interaction knowing what I do or do not want to happen. And then being able to, in confidence and empowerment, say, wow, okay, before I go on this date or before I go out to this bar tonight, yeah, I would like to kiss a guy tonight or I would like to meet someone. And then from a place of internal motivation and worth, you get to hold your boundary. Because I think what can happen is um, feeling pressure or obligation. We can abandon ourselves in the moment and break our own hearts, whatever our boundary is, whether that's I do want to have sex tonight, but I don't want to do this, or I don't want to have sex tonight and I don't want to do X, Y, Z, but in the moment, I don't know how to say no, or I feel bad, or... It could be competing with another another thought or another desire. I don't know. It could push you to do some more soul-searching to find out why are those really strong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a good point, because I think part of it is how would I be showing up in this interaction if I believed before I even stepped out of my house that I am accepted, I am loved, I am seen, I am known, I am worthy, I am enough because I breathe, period, the end, end of story. How would I be walking through my day? How would I be showing up in my career and my family and my love life if I believed that? That everything I want and long for, I already have access to from the inside out then how would I be showing up in this, on this date? Then what would my boundary be? Cause I think, I think you're right. I think, I think it's important to pause and think what's my motivator for doing whatever physical act. Is it because it feels good? It feels in alignment with my heart, with what I want, with where I'm headed, or am I doing something because I'm just really afraid of not being rejected? Or I'm just really lonely and I just want some sort of connection. I want to feel some sort of intimacy. Um, So I think navigating this conversation requires work. Yeah. And ultimately, I think it's going to bring empowerment and ownership and it's worth it to to go through it if you can and if you're open to it, you know, to ask yourself those questions and find the motivation because in the end, like it's only going to bring deeper intimacy, which I know you talk about. And like, that's what we want in the end anyway. Absolutely. And I think the reality is that there's no real shortcut to intimacy. We can get physically naked on day one, or we can get emotionally naked early on or spiritually naked, but really true intimacy, a true seeing and knowing another person and feeling that back, it takes time. And I think we do live in a time and in a culture where 
I want what I want when I want it. And I want it like yesterday, (laughs) you know, at any moment of any day, I can open up an app on my phone and order any type of food that I want and have it delivered in 30 minutes. And so we're conditioned to feel entitled to scratch whatever itch we have at any moment. And I think that really what we're really longing for is more than an itch being scratched. Absolutely. Before we wrap things up, I, I want to ask one more question of what encouragement would you give to a woman who is struggling with this and wanting to go a little bit deeper? Yeah, for sure. Well, I would say, first of all, you are not alone. You're so not alone. It's so normal to have questions. <laughs> it's so normal to have doubts. It's human. Being human is hard. <laughs> and and also, it's okay if your boundaries are different than another person's boundaries. We have space to be different than, than other people. That's okay. I would say you're allowed to doubt. You're allowed to ask questions. And if, if you're a person of faith, you're allowed to doubt and ask questions. You're allowed to doubt God. You can be angry at God. I believe if God is real, that God does not have a fragile ego. And so ask away. Seek research, ask questions, read books, uh, navigate your sources of truth and figure out what you believe. And um, it may seem like a daunting task, but any worthy journey is worth just taking the first step. And you do not have to go at it alone. In fact, what I've learned in my story is when I finally gave myself the permission to ask out loud the questions I was asking instead of experiencing rejection from people, it was like everyone around me was like, finally, someone asked the question out loud that we've all been wondering. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Before we go, I have three questions that I ask all my guests. So I'll ask you those real quick. The first one is, what's something that you do that makes you feel like your best self? Move my body, working out. I'm right after this call, I'm about, I'm going to do a workout called The Class by Taryn Toomey. It's one of my favorite things in the world. It's like yoga meets bar class meets therapy meets dance. It's amazing. What is something you do to find inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? I go outside. I go on a walk. I move my body. I throw on music and dance, get out of my head, get into my body. And the last one, um, what's one piece of advice you have if we all followed, we'd all be better off? No is a full sentence, period. (laughs) You were allowed to say no. Yes, absolutely. That's perfect. All right. And then lastly, where can we find you? You have the book launching, but where can we find you and how can we find your book? Yeah. So my book is at sexlessinthecitybook.com. You can also get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Audible, anywhere that you buy your books. And my weekly podcast is called The Refined Collective. And my social media and website are The Refined Woman. I love when people reach out on DM. Go ahead and slide into my DM. Say hi if you have any questions about what we chatted about today. I would love to chat. That is it for this week's episode. I really hope you found some type of value in it. I know it is sometimes uncomfortable to have conversations like this. Honestly, it was kind of uncomfortable for me to have conversations like this and to put it out there because of some of the beliefs that I have around this type of thing. So I get it. And I just hope that we can be open and respectful about it. That's really my only hope. 
If you did find this episode valuable, it would mean so much to me if you would write a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show get noticed, helps people know that this is worth listening to and it's worth their time. So please write that review, five stars. Thank you so much. And come follow me on Instagram at the Tea Please Podcast. I would love to chat with you. I would love to connect with you. I would love to get to know you. I hope you have a really great week and I will talk to you in the next episode.